this gets me in trouble a little bit. Living as a man is difficult in some ways and easy in some ways, I think, relative to the other options on the table. And one of the ways in which I think it's difficult is that we have an inconsistent idea of what it means to be a man in the modern world. Howdy, how you doing? I'm doing well. Nice to meet you, Vash. How you doing? Thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for uh, for revisiting a kind of an old take here that I wanted to uh, to ask you about about how the left uh, responds or doesn't to people like uh, Andrew Tate and the, the you know the so-called manosphere. I'm excited to to get into this. Oh yeah, the uh, pleasure is properly mine. <laughs> yeah. So so for people who don't know, I'm I'm coming from a podcast called Darts and Letters, which looks at sort of academia and intellectual culture from a left perspective. And so uh, we sometimes look at these kind of pseudo-intellectual spaces, uh, but also look at how scholars and academics and others have sort of come to understand them. And I was just kind of like really interested in this take you had like back in January um, about how the left was basically completely... Uh, forgoing the troubles of young men and like letting them sort of into the arms of the right. Um, what what's happened since then? By the way, I checked uh, on your Twitter feed and whatnot. Have you have you kind of engaged in that uh, since then, or have people come back at you since then? Well, it's been quieter for a while because Andrew Tate is, of course, in prison, and he's also earned a lot more public ridicule. Um, for being in prison and for a bunch of other stuff. The only person I see right now who's really loud, there are only two people, I guess a group and a person. It's Sneeko, mm -hmm. who is mostly a laughingstock, and the Fresh and Fit podcast, which unfortunately I can't cover their segments on stream because they aggressively DMCA people who check their mm. stuff out. So uh, my engagement has been a bit quieter. I think people for the most part have s taken more my side, but like not my side, right? I think Sean came out with a video recently which had some stuff to say that was in line with the idea that there's kind of like a sociological push towards the those those mannerisms, those those body politics. Um but I, I still think that the left is being quite milk toast on this. I, I think we could go a lot further. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to to share with you, like a little anecdote, um, as a Canadian, there's a sort of episode in Canadian politics that has a weird kind of rhyme to me. Um, and it's like way back in 2013, uh, we had like, we had for a long time a right wing government and there was a thwarted terror attack. And it was really interesting to see some of the responses to it because you had in this one uh, kind of famous press conference, a journalist asked Stephen Harper, a prime minister at the time, what I thought was a really astute question. She basically said, like, there's this problem of young men who are being radicalized here. And I wonder if it's time to ask what the root causes are of this radicalization. And then Stephen Harper like famously responded, and I'll just kind of read it because I think it's interesting. He said, like, at this moment, it's not the time to commit sociology. These are serious threats. These people have agendas of violence that are deep and abiding threats to our values as a society. I think we only want to convey the view of utter condemnation. Um, and that was sort of it. And then later, one of his people went in and said, the cause of terrorism is terrorists. And hmm. the like left-wing sociologist types stepped in and like very obviously condemned this as like anti-intellectual and like we can kind of understand where these people are coming from without ceding like our ideological ground or apologizing for terrorists. Seems kind of obvious, right? But then to see like, okay, 10 years later, now you try to do that and then people attack you. Uh, so I was thinking back to this Harper episode and just wondering like how, how do we get to this point? We're saying, well, let's just try to understand this to like more intelligently fight it is seen as somehow like apologizing for it or just like not a question worth asking. Well, I think I think doing that requires a kind of non-essentialist perspective on on evil or at least on bad behavior, which people are uncomfortable with. People like thinking of bad people as being sort of fundamentally, intrinsically, um, like cosmically bad. 
um, in, in ways that are sort of non-replaceable or transferable. We've had this conversation when it comes to actual, real, like uh, Islamic terrorism, for example. ISIS rose as a response to instability that we produced in the Middle East through our behavior. And of course, this isn't, you know, um, a, a coincidence or an accident. This is because people are actually a lot more likely to join far-right terrorist groups if they have nothing to lose and if their family's been blown up by a U.S. drone strike. It makes sense if you think about it for any length of time. But there's been a long opposition to thinking about things that way in the national defense community. They've taken more to it now. But it, I remember for a solid, yeah. well over a decade, like you just couldn't talk about it, you know? Why are ISIS bad? Because they're ISIS. Al-Qaeda, why are they mad? Oh, well, you know, you can read out what, what um, uh, uh, bin Laden wrote when 9-11 when happened about Western imperialism. But no, 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 you know? It's because he's bad. They, they hate us for our freedoms. Um, obviously I don't think your average manosphere incel over here in the West is like uh, Boko Haram or, or, or Al Qaeda or ISIS or anything else, though there are similarities in the way in which they're recruited, a feeling of dispossession mm -hmm. of masculine entitlement to a kind of heroic, uh, story that they feel they're no longer a part of a feeling that they've been emasculated by another institution or that some kind of, um, sexual or, or, or gender um, narrative has, has been taken from them, you know, like their right to a woman or to a, a, an idyllic life in, a, you know, in a loving family. And they respond to that with very radical and very ineffective solutions. And we need to know what's causing it in order to deal with it. Mm. Yeah, total parallels, even like the sociological configurations of like little cells of men kind of reminds me of... Um like pickup artists, right? I mean, they kind of function in a similar way as these like terror cells did. But I don't know if I'm like misremembering this time or like looking at it with rose colored glasses, but yeah, I definitely remember the pushback of people saying like, we don't need to understand why terrorists are the way that they are. They're just evil. But like with the reaction to this Harper quote, like I seem to remember all of the lefty sociologists like really holding their ground and saying like, you know, understanding the causes isn't like uh, forgiving it. Um, but but now I don't see as many people making those kinds of claims about like manosphere people, except for like maybe you and a few others. Like it, it seems like at least the left is like a little bit more cautious of of making this kind of intellectual case. I think it's because it's a little more, it's considered more distasteful. I'm borrowing sort of from the biases that I see in, in other mm -hmm. people on the left. I've seen a lot of people on the left, they're very willing to extend, I would say, an abstract hand of charitability, of reform, of understanding, of reconciliation to people who have done some really bad stuff. We take a look at ISIS, you know, and I don't think we have sympathy for ISIS, but I think there's like a, okay, well, you're a victim of Western imperialism, of these campaigns, your family has been killed. Okay, like, I do not agree with what you have done, but I understand, you know, and there's something intellectual about that. You feel smarter than, say, the, you know, the US federal government. Um, but we're less likely to extend that kind of charitability to people who engage in relatively petty and much more personal kinds of, of harm against us. For example, I don't think most people would be willing to think of that as a guy they meet at a party who's callous and sexist towards them. You know, if there's like a chick and meets a guy and the guy's just, a, just really rude to her and obviously sexist, I don't think the woman's going to go away from that thinking, you know, oh, well, I don't agree with his behavior, but, you know, I do sort of respect and, and have awareness of the sociological conditions that blah, blah, blah. No, because it, it just happened. It happened to you. Mm -hmm. It was right there. And he was mean and he was sexist. And you're not going to like sociologize that. And the Manosphere stuff touches on patterns of behavior that we do see and experience every moment of our lives, pretty much, when we go yep. online and deal with these people. I don't talk to ISIS radicals online, but I do talk to a lot of lonely guys who have decided to take it out on women. That proximity, I think, makes yeah. us, weirdly, counterintuitively, less sympathetic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like kind of a, a tougher ask for someone to say, like, in principle, yes, I will think we should sociologically understand terrorists and, like, yes, I think you should be like affording all of this extraordinary sympathy to people that are like sexist to you, especially when they show like no sympathy towards other people around them, poor and marginalized and racialized communities to say like, afford them the kind of humanity that they're not affording other people. Like that's the tough ask, right?
It's also a matter of perceived triviality, of course. Western imperialism, bombs, drones, those are big deals, you know? Hundreds yeah. of billions spent on war. Um, but for a lot of these guys, they're just virgins and mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I want to be clear, by the way, obviously, when we're talking about what motivates people to their behavior, this is like a descriptive um, undertaking. If you think a cause is trivial, you can think that that doesn't alleviate our need to understand why it's happening. You know, the pettiest things, a little pebble in your shoe can can cause you to tumble off a cliff, right? You don't stop at analyzing a problem because that seems minor. And while it is certainly the case that it is probably better to be an 18-year-old virgin than it is to be killed in a drone strike. I don't have the exact numbers on that, but I think that's the case. <laughs> um, it, you know, in, in the minds of people who are going through problems we consider trivial, um, there, there is like a monster there, right? Like pe to, to people who really care about being an incel or about like being waylaid or feeling hopeless when it comes to women, that weighs on them. And it weighs on them a lot. And obviously, when it comes to the extent to which these problems affect their mental state, you know, if we see a consistent, disproportional, outsized effect on people's behavior based on what we consider relatively minor initial circumstances, well, then obviously, by definition, they're not minor. Clearly, then, it's, it's actually major. It just seems minor to us because we're not in that headspace, and we should treat it as though it is. Mm. Yeah, I, I, that's a point well taken. It's not really about sort of like ranking people's uh, the 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 lived experience or the feeling of oppression and saying, well, this one is more worthwhile and this one is less worthwhile. Therefore, we should ignore. Like, ideally, we should we should be trying to like alleviate everyone's uh, anxieties and loneliness and their economic dislocation and all the other forces that are oppressing them. Um, I guess one of the questions I had was like, why? Um, why you? Why have you made this? I don't want to say that you're like the spokesman of this take. There are other people that say things like this. But when I started to look for other lefties that made what I think is a pretty like self-evident, like obvious claim that we should try to understand these people to like better uh, fight against this kind of ideology, uh, I didn't find that many people making the claim. So I was curious as to why you found yourself here. I think a lot of people on the left consider it kind of passe because you are it, it, they they see it as a kind of legitimization where mm -hmm. by catering to their interests or trying to understand them you're sort of placating or le or legitimizing them in some way which i completely disagree with you know i know more than i would think you're legitimizing like um fundamentalist islamic terrorism by by making an effort to 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 sort of alleviate the conditions by which it arises or understand how it is you know i, I think that's nonsensical um and i also think there's a difficulty because Mm, this this gets me in trouble a little bit, but um, okay, living as a man is difficult in some ways and easy in some ways, I think, relative to the other options on the table. And one of the ways in which I think it's difficult is that we have an inconsistent idea of what it means to be a man in the modern world. We have a traditional understanding, which is, of course, very patriarchal, very authoritarian, very, uh, you know, like, like strong, silent, keep your emotions in, that kind of stuff, you know. And then we have a more like modern interpretation of what it means to be a man, which is to deviate from those behaviors in some but not all ways. We still like it when men are big and strong, hegemonically, culturally, interpersonally. That is still a popular trait. Assertiveness is considered attractive, but assertiveness in the wrong way is considered creepy. A lot of guys fear being called creepy over stuff that I think a lot of mm -hmm. women get away with easily because people don't see a innate social threat with women's behavior, at least not often. And all of this together, I think, means that a lot of people are having a kind of crisis of identity. And there are not many roads out of this. You see the Manosphere Road, where it's like, um, you know, uh, a, a society hates you, feminism has ruined women, and, and, you know, the only way to overcome this is to focus on the grind, you know, focus on, don't care about women, make money, you know, whatever. Not a good idea, I think, for the mental health in the long run. And a lot of these people, you know, they're not going to make money just because you tell them to. This doesn't solve their problems. <laughs> A lot of the lefties' attitudes towards this is like, a, well, you'll be more happy if you just check your privilege, reconcile the problematic aspects of your behavior, and, um, you know, sort of detoxify yourself, get rid of the toxic masculinity. This is incredibly patronizing, obviously. First of all, the introspection required to just take negative parts of your personality and twist them off this is an incredibly difficult task, even for people who have, like, that's like a lifelong thing. You know, we are both mm -hmm. the sculptor and the sculpture. It hurts to change yourself. Um, 
And it also doesn't immediately solve anyone's problems. Being less toxically masculine doesn't make you more confident, make you more happy with yourself. It maybe means you're less likely to lash out at yourself and others when certain conditions take place. But it's possible that for a lot of these guys, anger is actually a cathartic outlet, in which case simply removing that actually creates more problems to their mm -hmm. mental health. It makes them feel like they have no outlet. The solution is synthesis. You have to find ways to promote positive masculinity not just talk down the toxic elements. And the left struggles with this because I think a lot of them consider it beneath them to have to give instruction on how men ought to behave in a way that is actually useful. Mm. I think another part of the problem is, and and what I think you captured so well in, in a bunch of series of tweets is like, you know, just the fact of reminding people that like the people that we're really talking about here are not like weird crypto fascists. They are essentially like, 14, 15, 16 year olds who are seeing stuff on like TikTok. And I can't remember where, where it was you said it, but it's just like, these are not Bond villains. <laughs> these are just like confused people with some bad ideas about what masculinity is. And uh, we can sort of counsel them through that, right? Like why, why the, the invocation to like make them into this like dangerous straw man it's like that the teenager is standing in for all of the sins of patriarchy yeah and, and the average person who falls into this stuff is not even aware of the conditions that they're responding to or creating people mm -hmm. get into reactionary movements not because they want to be the domineering victors but because they think they're victims look at the language behind literally every reactionary movement <laughs> ever ever even when the, you know, to go as far as we can, the Nazis were at the apex of their power. You go to, you go listen to one there, the other speech and interspersed between the, you know, glory of the fatherland or whatever is crying and whinging about how they're victimized by international Judaism. They cannot, these reactionary movements, they cannot operate without the victim complex because the feeling of grievance is what drives them towards yeah. these perceived solutions. So, you know, the idea that these people are just like, Machiavellians who are choosing to be sexist because they think they benefit from that power arrangement. No, they don't. They, mm. they, no, they don't. And also, comma, no, they do not. They don't benefit from it. Um, no more so than, than, you know, the white man benefits from white supremacy. He may be better off than the people he mistreats, but in fact, the life of many white people was made worse because the systems of slavery and labor exploitation, the institution of the police, which grew out of you know slave patrols, these institutions are recursive. They hurt people who are not just of a different race, but of lower stature, of lower power. And race is not the only power hierarchy in our society. There's also class. There's also health. There's mental health. There's a lot of stuff that intersects. People do not, in the long run, benefit from systems designed to hurt those other than them. Um, or, or, or perhaps maybe a very tiny minority of people on top, the population at large, certainly. Um, so I reject the idea that there is any Machiavellian self-interested intent here. I think people are sad and desperate and lonely. And being young people mostly, they're impressionable. And I think it's our responsibility to give them a narrative that contradicts the one that they seem to keep falling into. Mm. What exactly does that look like for a left? Like, how do we how do we sort of speak to these issues without like seeding any kind of ideological ground and, and sticking to the principles? Cause we're not talking here about like abandoning feminism or anything like that. We're just talking about like speaking to a people before that they, they go down the rabbit hole of like far right uh, manosphere bros. Oh, I, I, the main thing I think you need is to teach confidence and self-reliance in ways that are actually positive. And the thing that's difficult about teaching confidence, you know, this is pickup artistry fundamentally. I have talked on stream before, oh, if you're at a party, you know, here are some ideas maybe on, on how you can approach these conversations. But the critical difference, you know, is that you don't want to foster the, the development of a kind of like checklist to run through. You, mm -hmm. you want to give people basic tools to, um, to, to respect the people they're talking to enough that they know when what they're doing is getting them social accolades, when, when, when they're doing something that is being received positively. And if you can get people to understand when that's happening, I think that's the bedrock upon which everything is built. Because I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever struggled, struggled with like a lack of, of social confidence. I haven't, but I've heard from other people. Um, the main thing that gets them is the idea they're in a social event, they're talking to somebody, and they feel like that other person 
just wants to leave the conversation. They're like inside, you know, they're talking about this, that, the other, and inside they're thinking, oh God, they just want me to stop talking. You become apologetic. You sort of stutter in your speech because you're like sort of pausing for their signal. You're, 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 you're sabotaging yourself because mm -hmm. you're not putting your best foot forward now. You're waiting for them to take a step away. And in doing so, you're giving them an excuse to. It's not good. And teaching people like how to move from that, how to be better than that, I think that's literally like step one. A lot of these guys in the manosphere can't even talk to women. They're terrified of them. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit. I don't know if this is exactly pushing back, but one of the one of the questions I had in seeing some of your takes is like, can this be veering a little too far into left bashing? And I say that because in this episode uh, that I'm producing, we also are talking to folks with QAnon Anonymous who are doing this series on the Man Clan. And I talked to Annie Kelly and I sort of said, you know, what should the left do? And she's like, yeah, that's all a good point. But actually, I think maybe the left is like, I mean, the right is talking um, to these people, but like the left is too right? Like this, the liberal center is like completely ignoring this and, you know, wanting to deplatform it. And that's the extent of it. But she said, like, you know, when she was doing her PhD, talking to all these like far right manosphere people, um, every time she ran into somebody who had left the movement, they were essentially a socialist. And they had a story about someone uh, on the left talking to them. And so she came to the conclusion, I actually think we are actually doing a little bit, maybe not enough, but but we're doing stuff. I don't think there's a total absence uh, from the left in, in terms of responding to it. I think that there are there are two points to this. Um, I think one of them is that there is on the left an assumption that the only way to get these guys out of the position that they're in is to move them over to another radical ideology to fill the same hole in their chest that the Manosphere stuff did. Mm -hmm. Socialism is a wonderful thing. I believe in it. Um, but I know a lot of people use radical ideologies as a way of giving themselves a drive and a purpose to distinguish themselves from others, to give them a sense of identity. This isn't necessarily bad, but it's also not the same as fixing the initial problems. It's just giving them right. a different set of tools to cope with them. I think that this is useful in tandem with other things. I think personally that people will gravitate towards positive ideologies if they start with a healthy mindset, if on a, on a fundamental level, you know, you you give them the tools to engage appropriately with their social setting, I think they're more likely to make those positive decisions. They're less likely to fall down the bad rabbit holes. And I'm interested in seeing, because you take a 14-year-old white boy on a playground, right? Terrified of women, a lot of them, right? Like, this is the thing, you know, puberty. Um, but now we're all listening to, you know, internet self-help coaches. I mean, people are more susceptible than ever to extremely well-produced propaganda selling them ideologies based on this, that, the other. And I notice a lot of young people who get into socialism and do it out of a kind of contrarianism, whatever, right. we all start somewhere. But that's not the reason why people get into the Manosphere stuff. It's not to be contrarian. It's because there's a deep underlying anxiety about them and their relationship with women. And I think that specifically needs to be targeted, not just through, here's another thing that can give your life meaning, but through these ideas should be... Um, at the face of it, they should be ridiculous. Mm. To you, you should see this and you should think, this does not work for me. This is a ridiculous set of solutions because I have this. And the this I want them to have is confidence, is social skills. That's interesting. So if I hear you correctly, like we should be starting like basically just at the level of like pro-social uh, self-help, essentially, like how to just navigate as a as a young person who's a bit socially awkward and can't quite fit in uh and not like the level of sort of structural explanation right because you could construct a kind of socialist answer to this which i tend to do it's like okay you're you're feeling this kind of economic anxiety and dislocation because this sort of male breadwinner role that used to exist no longer is an option for you and we're just trying to reckon with that kind of wreckage um so you can kind of point to structure as you're saying point to like just the like can they navigate their social world yeah it's i don't think a person should need to have like a a um you know like a socialist critical theory perspective on their own anxieties in order to overcome mm. and alleviate them a lot of young people aren't going to become radicals and i think that's fine you know as long as they don't go down the the worst roads they could possibly take ideally you would hit them with both 
But there are right. a lot, and I, you know, I don't mean to besmirch here, but there are a lot of people on the left who are kind of miserable because, <laughs> as it turns out, having good politics has nothing to do with living a fulfilling life. They're actually completely separate things. There are neo-Nazis who live fulfilling lives. Not many, I'll admit. Those people generally are doing pretty poorly. Um, and there are communists and socialists uh, who are living terrible lives because politically they're on the ball. But that doesn't give them the skills right. to talk to people or to, to order their lives in an appropriate way. Jordan <laughs> Peterson got famous, right? I mean, with his self-help stuff, which was laden, of course, with conservative propaganda. But at its face, it was about self-help. And understanding from a critical perspective why you feel the way you do is not the same as not feeling that way. I think it's better to, to say to this person, you know, here's how you alleviate your anxiety than mm. to say, this is why you're feeling that way. Not only because most people aren't just just aren't that introspective to begin with. It takes time, I think, and education for many to, to get to that point. But also because that feeling is the core of their their response, not their right. lack of an understanding of it. Hmm. I, I see your point. I think one of the one of the tensions this has come came up for me every single time I, I talk to other lefties about self help. The kind of stock answer is that. I'm not really sure there's a way to do it in a pro-social way because it has like an individuating aspect where like even in this conversation, we're talking about like people and their inner world and how they like learn to navigate as individuals um, on the playground or whatever. And I worry, like, is there a tension there? Are we actually, if, if we don't uh, forefront, maybe not forefront, but at least include very quickly that kind of structural uh, answer, we end up with like, a new kind of just like lefty-ish Jordan Peterson, but it's still a, you know, a, a manual, it's just 12 different rules. Well, you, I think you get a kind of political doomerism where people mm -hmm. are, you know, they have an ideology that I might agree with, but their attitude towards it is one of a kind of defeatist, the world is bad because of these reasons, and I am just sort of sleepwalking through it. I mean, we saw a lot of that back during the 2020 election, I think, especially after Bernie dropped out where a lot of people's adherence to leftism seems to be an abstract, like, sit from the sidelines, you know, crow when things are going poorly and cheer when they're going well. But it doesn't seem to order their lives very much. And I disagree with the idea that self-help is very individualized. Um, mm. I actually think this is a really negative leftist tendency, or progressive tendency, maybe, or maybe it's just a tendency. The idea that, um, well, different things work differently for everyone. That's not true. There are a lot of things that work perfectly well for everyone, and most people don't do it. Exercise, properly regulating their diet and sleep schedule, um, making sure they go outside and get some vitamin D, doing their best to go to in real life in-person social events and speak occasionally with people uh, in a mm -hmm. non-customer service setting. These are objective bits of advice. There are very few exceptions to them. And most people don't do them. It's like, the, it's, this is why like talking with doctors is frustrating, right? You go to a doctor and you talk with them about your sleep issues and the doctor will be like, okay, what's your sleep schedule? And you'll be like, what, my what, my what? And then it's like, well, they can't help you with any kind of medicine if there might be like 17 basic physiological things you're messing <laughs> up. Do you do any exercise? What, do you go outside? What, like, so I, I think that basic lessons on confidence, social engagement for young men, I think have almost universal applicability. Obviously there are some cases where there's some like much deeper specific thing, but man, if you could target you know, 90% of people with a given social anxiety, I'd say that's a pretty huge portion if the Manosphere is turning out millions of supporters. No kidding. Yeah. Um, as a as a veritable uh, self-hating leftist who can't get up on time, I think this Same. is all a good good advice <laughs> I should I should heed. Uh, I wanted to go back to kind of like the left responsibility and maybe make like a bit of a finer point on that. Like who in particular is responsible? And I have in mind, especially like seeing some women respond to the feed and like there's like obviously like people that are essentially like denying their existence or um, are like rank sexists. We shouldn't really expect women to be the one showing that sort of uh, humanity and carefully sociologizing their uh, history, like, are we asking men to take this kind of responsibility to talk to other men? Are we talking uh, asking women as well, or everyone? How do we go about not sort of like putting an unrealistic expectation or a kind of pushing someone into a very odious uh, 
circumstances as well. I think people should do it if they feel they can do a good job. And overwhelmingly, men will be the ones who can do a better job. Not because their arguments are better, but because the kinds of people that we're talking to will feel talked down to if a woman is the one giving them advice. I know for a fact that when I was 14, 15, and, um, you know, if, if, if a woman, you know, twice my age had been like, hey, listen, here are some things you can do to be better with, but I wouldn't have listened to her. I mean, why would I be expected to, you know, no matter how much life experience she has? Well, I suppose she could have been in my shoes at some point, but she probably hasn't been. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's something that you should go for if you think you can. Well, I don't think people have a responsibility to pursue this kind of rhetoric if they don't have a hand on it. I do think they have a responsibility to not hamper others when they pursue that rhetoric, which is what I've seen a lot of. You know, when I when I get my hot right. takes on Twitter, I get people who are accusing me of being a rape apologist for saying that we should like try to talk to incels or that I hate women or whatever. Um, unfortunately, I get in trouble for saying this too, but it's it's unfortunately true, um, and I refuse to let the deep state silence me. There are a lot of people who just hate men on the left. Um, that hate is. Um, not very socially consequential in the long term. It's certainly not an institutional force like patriarchy, white supremacy, whatever else, but it exists and it clouds people's judgment. Men are, after all, very annoying. If you've ever been on Grindr, <laughs> and I have, and if you've dated men, and I have, you would know that. Um, they're quite a hassle to deal with. And interpersonal experiences with men, particularly for victims of sexual assault by men, I think often have a predisposition towards wariness towards them. I don't mm. think that's wrong. I don't think that's... Um, unjustifiable. I do think that making political decisions based off of that bias, however, can really, um, it can really hamper an effort to to address a serious social problem. Mm. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. We can have like an empathy towards that uh, position and understand where it's coming from, just like we're asking um, about understanding men, but not uh, champion that as like the prevailing leftist attitude uh, as like a political project when we're talking about young boys in the manosphere. Um, so I guess kind of last question, or, uh, one, one or two more questions if you have the time. I so do. Awesome. So I was, um, I was watching one of your streams and I can't remember exactly how you put it, but you, you asked people in the room, you said, you know, for people that were like in these spaces before, um, when you were in those spaces, did you wake up in the morning thinking about how you wanted to hate women and dominate them, or were you responding to some kind of um, some kind of lack, some kind of problem in your in yourself? And overwhelmingly, people said, "No, I wasn't. I was responding to my issue. I wasn't really fundamentally about uh, hating women." Uh, and I got to thinking about that, and I was wondering about what kind of I wanted to hear more about some of the interactions that you've had with your fans and others who who might have been in these spaces. What do they say about how they how they left or why they left? Well, I, I think it, it its origin is largely a product of longing. You know, um, not to say there aren't incels who hate women. There certainly are. I think this the hate is a second order feeling, though. Um, I've certainly experienced the 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 emotion of of having someone who I, I had quite a crush on. And, you know, I, I, nothing was going to happen there. Um, but, you know, the feeling that I had for this person was significant enough that after a while I kind of didn't want to be around them that much because it sort of dominated my, my mind when I was in their presence. And I feel like that negativity multiplied by it being all women, not just one person, and it being a perceived lifelong thing. Because, of course these people, they think this is like forever. You know, they're, they're right. 16. They think like, oh, I'll never get laid. If I haven't lost my virginity by 16, it's over. It's like, okay, okay you know. <laughs> but I mean, tell a 16-year-old that they're wrong, right? You can and you'd be right to, but they won't listen. Um, and and the way the way to get out of that in, in many cases, I think, at least from what I've heard from my community, is that it starts with friendship. When you think of, of women, I'm, I'm speaking mostly here as like, like the idea of these incels being heterosexual men. There are, of course, gay or pan incels, but overwhelmingly, this is this is a heterosexual tendency. Um, mm -hmm. Hell, there are fem cells. You know, I mean, God, it's a beautiful world out there. But the internet is weird. Oh God, yes. Um, <laughs> when you see women as a, a a desirable object of affection, and only as that, it clouds your ability to engage with them. Because I don't know about you, I've never talked to an object of affection. I talk to people mostly in, in my job and in my life. And we know how to talk to people, most do. Even the socially awkward have some idea of how to do it. We're not all, I don't know, Bochi the Rock over here. 
But you think of a woman as something else entirely, a different category of person, all your social abilities dry up, and instead they're just this abstract configuration of emotional and sexual feelings that you can't really combine into the shape of a person. But when you can learn to see, uh, you know, it sounds so trite, see women as people, being friends with a woman, right? Women and men are basically the same. Women are also dumb and annoying. They're all dumb and annoying. It's, it's in the same basic ways, really, especially out of high school. Because in high school, you know, the differences get played up because of puberty. But for the most part, people act you know, basically the same. If you talk to a lot of women, I think, and you talk to them properly as like a friend or as an equal, a lot of them are really relieved because women are so used when talking to men to every guy just secretly trying to sleep with them that they'll, you know, they'll make, I don't, they'll make the, the crass jokes, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll let themselves relax, they'll drop their guard a little bit, as people should with friends. And when you see that, and if you're empathetic about it, you understand what it is they actually are, what they represent. I think, I think all of this, all this manosphere stuff just becomes unsustainable nonsense. It, it completely dissipates with the understanding that this categorical distinction is almost entirely non-existent. Because that's what it's rooted in, right? The idea that men and women are fundamentally different is necessary to their ideology. It, that that idea cannot, um, it can't be absent. And mm. yeah, yeah, I think that's the main thing you have to tackle. And I think that's what works most. And I see that a lot from my community. It's like, well, I finally had a positive relationship with a woman and I thought, oh my God, what have I been doing? <laughs> I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is like, if you think leftists are miserable, these manosphere people, it looks like hell like they have they're completely joyless like all their kind of social it's all about social proof and about like competing with other men in a doggy dog consumerist uh world in which they can't even have healthy relationships with women because women are simply objects of their status like who wants to actually live in that kind of world and it's why we need to look happy as well Yes. They, they look at Andrew Tate and they think, oh, he's happy. No, Andrew Tate's clearly miserable, obviously, yes. when you look at him, like any sensible adult. Um, but we also need to be, we need to look radiant. And this is one of the reasons why I'm critical of, I, I, I don't want to use the term um, castration here. What's what's another good one? It's um, it's um, uh, uh, it's when you when you uh, uh, demasculate, um, emasculate. Thank Emasculation. you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Emasculate. There's there's an attitude I think that a lot of people on the left have towards men where they need to like lower the man bit. You know what I mean? Like, right. What men are politically as a group is in many cases um, harmful. They think, and therefore, as there are men everywhere, and there are in my social space and in my house and in my school and blah blah. Ideally. They would be less that. Um, and this is like one of those contradictions of identity that I was talking about. Because in reality, very masculine people are actually universally respected and celebrated. You can say it's because of social bias, and it certainly is, but that is still nonetheless the case. And you can tell, go into a social setting as like a six foot eight, really muscular guy with a symmetrical face and a square jaw and a nice haircut. And Nobody is going to dislike this. Nobody. Everybody fawns over people like that. In the same way that even on the left, where we're supposedly like critical of uh, you know um, misogyny and, and and sexual exploitation or whatever, if there's a you know a very well endowed woman wearing skimpy clothing, everybody likes this. Funnily, except the incels, they think it's taunting them. <laughs> we the problem isn't with like exaggerated archetypes of masculinity and femininity. I think that those are fun and fine, if you adhere to them or not. I think the problem is an expectation of toning down masculine elements can make a lot of guys seem kind of, you know, unhappy and henpecked. I mean, we know the stereotypes on the left, right? That the guys are all like emasculated, they're soy, they're, mm. they're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're wimps, they're afraid to be charismatic or outspoken. And certainly there's these perceptions can't be entirely dispelled because a lot of them are rooted in an attack on the concept of progressivism itself. But I do think it would be beneficial if there was a more outward celebration of a wider range of presentations within the left. Hmm. The idea that it's okay to be a super masculine guy, of course, as long as you don't rep these negative traits, 
we certainly think that way about very feminine women, right? Like, you know, people on the left aren't usually talking down Barbies. The right says we do, but that doesn't actually like, happen all that much. Um, I just, I don't know. It's difficult for me to point at a broader trend here because I'm kind of grasping at the margins of a tendency that I see. But it does seem like a lot of people think that there's, the checking your privilege thing comes with like a prerequisite of like you have to tone down the identity a bit. And right. we need to do away with that. I think we need to show that no matter what you're like, as long as what you're like isn't crap, you can be part of the left and you can be happy and radiant and whoever you want to be. And you you can you can do the kind of like um, archetypal alpha bro frat jock thing of, you know, being a big kind of muscular dumb guy who just sleeps around a bunch. There's nothing fundamentally toxic about that, I don't think. Um, it's it's a lovely kind of person to have in your in your <laughs> local community. And 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 um yeah, I think I'm rambling a bit at this point. If you're a good person, fundamentally, like it. Um, my last question, Vash, I, I just, I wonder, um, is there a risk that someone is listening to me or is listening to you and is saying, like, are we being just like a little too easy on these men? Or why are we fixating on these men when, like I was saying earlier, a lot of them like deny the humanity of other less privileged people? Why, why harp on, you know, the oppressed young boys, most of which are probably middle class or upper middle class. And at the end of the day, even though they're kind of weird now and it's kind of acting out in pathological ways, they'll be fine. So is this really our hill to die on? Well, um, I, I don't think we have the luxury of making that choice. Leaving aside the fact that they're people and they deserve to live happy, fulfilling lives, even if that means that they have to be, you know, some effort has to be expended on them. We're also talking about the bedrock of like the modern far right movement. Andrew Tate went from having essentially no prominence to having a galactic, like, international, like, leader of the right level of prominence entirely by being a misogynist. That is insane. And, you know, you can, people can bemoan the unfairness of having to take this group of people seriously if they want, but that doesn't change the descriptive fact that if we don't, there will continue to be problems, potentially severe ones, after all. Um, Sexually frustrated, identity waylaid young men are, after all, the bedrock of fascism in almost every country where fascist movements have um, developed. The idea that these 14-year-olds whose politics at that age are entirely rooted in misogyny won't then develop into all of the adjacent things. Uh, after all, Andrew Tate, I mean, anti-feminism, um, critique of Western progressivism from the perspective of being a fake Muslim. Uh, you know, all of this stuff. It eventually blossoms into broader anti-progressivism. And then from there, we must defend the West against the, Ju I mean, the feminazis, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and you, well, that's what happens. We see this Absolutely. happen. It's not even subtle. So we don't have the luxury of ignoring this problem for one, but for two, also from a purely humanitarian perspective, a person being white or upper middle class or kind of annoying online doesn't mean they're any less deserving of living a happy life, especially if the way in which they could live a happy life would be to make them less annoying online. Um, they're potentially valuable allies. They're people who deserve to have a good life. And I, and I do feel for a lot of them. Not all of them are Andrew Tate Sims. A lot of these people are just really sad and have no hope that their life will turn out the way that, say, their parents did. They look at their father, and they see their father, presumably, married, and had kids, and they live in a house, a lot of them, especially if they are middle or upper middle class, and they realize that due to changing economic circumstances and social circumstances, they may never have the privilege of getting to live the life that is supposed to be the template archetypal American dream. And people can go in a lot of different directions after that one, but if their primary concern is sexual frustration, a lack of self-confidence, it's likely they're going to go into the manosphere route. And I just think they deserve better than that. The right has been carving a path for them. They've been carving a, a slip and slide that they have been, mm -hmm. you know, greasing the wheels of. They, they, this is a well-manufactured road. And people are the products of the circumstances, you know. You can bemoan the triviality of a 14-year-old's concerns all you want. But if that's the road that was built for them, I think we have an obligation to try our best to build them a mm. better one. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic, Vosh. Uh, no, no, I, I enjoyed the conversation very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Great. Cheers. All right, I'll let you go. Or right. you'll let me go, I guess. <laughs> I, we'll both let each other go. That's egalitarianism, right? There. Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Take Bye care. now. Bye. That was quite good, I think. I think I could have worded the acceptance of 
more masculine identities a little bit more. I think I think what I was trying to get at is that I I, I it sounds so trivial to use this as like a, a bedrock of the, the point that I'm trying to make. But if you think like there are so many memes where it's like these are like far right memes where there's like a blue haired feminazi or whatever um who's like you're you 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 you're you're a feminist now mister you have to be soy and be fat and have man titties and blah. and then like some big chad walks in with like huge muscles and the feminazi's like oh my god and then like take me now you know what i mean and i think one of one of the like one of the presuppositions that's necessary for you to have before that meme makes sense is the idea that a really like beefy masculine guy wouldn't be on the left. Like the idea is like the feminazi will will feminize and castrate her own men, but still seek the like alpha Chad conservative. But why are they a conservative? I've met plenty of muscular leftists. Um, I just think there needs to be a greater emphasis placed on the idea that the left is not a space where men have to be something. It's a space where men can be anything as long as that thing isn't crap. As, lo as long as the thing you are isn't shit, you can do or be whatever you want. This is one of the reasons why I really promote like discipline and self-help to you guys, because I do not stand for this lefty bullshit of like, you know, oh yeah, whether or not you want to have a good sleep schedule and eat a decent diet and get exercise is your choice. No, fuck you. I mean, it is your choice, but like, it's good for you and you should do it because it's good for you. And things that are good for you interpersonally are good for us, the body politic, okay? The fact that fascists have a monopoly on that line of thinking is so stupid to me. Why? Like, it's like they're, they understand, seemingly, um, that that discipline is, is socially valuable. It's one of the reasons why I really don't like all the memes where people are basically bragging about their mental illnesses on social media because none of that shit is making you feel any better. Nobody, none of your, like, none of the mental illnesses that are present in people on the left are getting improved by, like, posting, oh, I'm so dysfunctional, I'm so... Like, I, I know you're all trying to relate to your other mentally ill friends, but you're all enabling each other. You're making no effort to improve your circumstances. You are just reveling in your in 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 real or imagined conditions that you might have you're fetishizing them you're aesthetizing them you're making them a part of your identity and i i look i don't have a problem with being open if you have a mental illness obviously i talk about mine but i feel like it goes beyond being open and starts being like a celebration which i don't agree with because if they're termed mental illnesses they are bad for you and the celebration thing, like you shouldn't be, like you should be working. What if you're going to like share that stuff? Why not like try to form solidarity around getting out of that? I see lots of people who post memes where the point of the meme is, "I'm so depressed. Look at my depression. Wow, wow, wow." But never memes of, "I'm going to work my best to get out of depression." What about you? Why don't I see that? In some cases, that would be a cry for help, right? It's never used as a cry for help. It's literally it, like you can see this all over the place on Twitter. And most of it is from the left. And it's literally just like people who are neuroatypical reveling in it as a kind of identifier aesthetic slash excuse for why they are the way they are. Um, and it's like cool. It's like, haha, it's, it's cool. Wow, I'm so, I'm so ill. I'm so schizo, whatever. That sounds like forcing shit on progressive men or progressive leaning men is just doing what the far right does. Um, I'm not forcing you to do anything, but you should be getting a f proper sleep schedule, okay? You should be eating well and you should be exercising, all right? While being strong is cool and all, I'd rather be about freedom and fighting for a better world. You can't fight if you're not strong. <laughs> you, you think any of you motherfuckers are going to be revolutionaries when you can barely order a pizza? I, I agree that like freedom is important here, but discipline is freedom. The ability to get things done, the ability to, to, to get your life in order and structure yourself in a way that makes you strong, that is freedom. Freedom is meaningless if you're incapable of acting on your desires. Yes, take vitamin uh, D3 and C, that's true. That's true, but yeah, 100%. The wallowing, sh I hate the wallowing. You have trouble sleeping? That's true. I do have trouble sleeping. Yes. I'm not saying I'm a perfect avatar of these positions, but I fully stand by them. And trust me, Vermin, can, Vermin will agree to this. I give myself plenty of shit for the sleep schedule thing. I'm suffering plenty, and a lot of it is self-inflicted. And that's good, because I would rather give myself shit for a bad habit than I would uh, enable it eternally. Have you tried melatonin? No, 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 we're not talking about me right now. Vosh, you're depressed. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yes! What do you think you do to get out of depression? Lay in bed and cry? Yeah, it does take effort to get out of depression. That Yes, that is true. 
Nobody else can do it for you. Flash, I've had multiple people in my life introduce themselves with their anxiety only preceded by their name. It feels like a lefty greeting. It's so strange. Yeah, if you ever meet me, I never want to hear about your mental illnesses. I don't care. I do just I do not care. I will never care. Okay? I will I will never care. It's your business, not mine. Stop sharing that shit with me. Vosh, you undersell your autism quite a lot, so I was shocked when you rant about how you hate planes due to autism. Dude, the number one thing that I hate about internet online leftist culture or whatever is the fact that I now say that I'm autistic. I hate that shit so much. I, like, I used to say, oh, this is autistic, that is autistic, as, like, a joke entirely, but now sometimes I'll be like, oh, well, I have autism, so, and I hate that. I hate that tendency. I never used to do that. I've known that I've been autistic, like, my entire life. I never used to do that. But people have so normalized sharing. I hate it so much. Normalize sharing less. Tell people less about yourself, especially online. Your followers who follow you because you repost memes on your Twitter account do not need your memes to be interspersed with breakdown vent posts about how sad you are, okay? They're, doing so does not make you feel better. I'm, I'm looking at you. No, it doesn't. If you have real friends to talk to, you can talk to those. Your random Twitter followers, they're just an empty void to scream into. You do not feel better after it. They are not your diary. I think you're being too harsh. It's okay to be human and vulnerable. Not to random nobodies. No, well, you can be human to random nobodies. But no, I don't think it's good to normalize, like, being super vulnerable by vent posting to a bunch of people who don't care. You know they don't care, right? You know the re guys, you realize that you have to have a mutually invested relationship with somebody before they will give a single shit about you, right? If you have a bunch of random Twitter followers and you're just like like vent posting about how shit things are or how mentally ill you are, you know they don't care. You know that you're just adding to their own mental illnesses, right? Because it's the f left so everyone here is depression and anxiety. They they read that shit and they think, "Wow, so it's everyone else too, huh?" They're not thinking like, "Oh my god, it's you." Because they don't know you because you don't know them. Why would they care? If you have friends, talk to your friends. Stop substituting stuff that is meant for actual relationships with the anonymity and comfort blanket of internet followers, okay? Stop doing that. I hide tons of shit from you people. You're not my friends. Well, some of you are. I see vermin in chat. But you guys aren't my friends. Uh, like, I, 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 don't, I don't come here and vent to you about my emotions. I suck it up. I've had plenty of personal problems, fights, uh, disagreements inconveniences, bad mental health days, and I come on here and I do my shit, and I could be talking to hundreds of thousands of people every time about how I feel, and I don't, because you're not my friend, and it would bring me no joy or satisfaction to share that information, and it would not enrich your life. The only thing you would get is a come-down-to-earth feeling of being reminded of the fact that I'm human too, which doesn't benefit me for you to hear that, by the way. You should have known that to begin with, you stupid piece of shit. And it doesn't benefit me because none of you are capable of reciprocating with any sort of meaningful emotional feedback because, again, I don't know you. I'm not telling you to keep it to yourself. I'm telling you to keep it to your friends. To people who care about you. Uh, Vermin makes a good point. Don't do it too much to your friends, though. You're not, they're not your f therapists. Honest to God, like, you should not need to vent 24-7. It doesn't benefit you, even to your friends. If you're, if you're depressive, like, do you, do you really feel better? At, like, I'm not saying you have, like, a 10-minute, like, oh, here's how I feel. I mean, there are people who will spend, like, an hour every day typing out how miserable they feel to a friend, burdening them with their shitty emotions, okay? Do you feel better after that? No, you don't. Don't lie to me. You may think you do, but that's only because you're trying to remind yourself that other people pay attention to you. Which, by the way, they don't. Your friend isn't reading all those messages. They're reading the broad gist of them, then responding as best they can, because you're putting an unfair burden on them, okay? Discipline. Self-reliance, friendship, temperance. You will learn these things and you will be better for it, okay? I promise you the world of mental health was not improved through the invention of Discord vent channels. That was not a psychiatric breakthrough that therapeutic organizations the world around celebrated. They were not all cheering and throwing their hats up in the air. Thank God, you know, we had our, we had our suggestions, but now, finally, we have Discord vent channels, and everything is better now. That's not what happened. Nobody did that. Who are you subtweeting? Vosh dropped the ad. I'm taking, I'm taking on the, the, it's the whole online left right now. I'm actually not subtweeting anyone. Those people also never let others vent back to them. Yeah, you ever had one of these dumb, depressive bitches vent at you? And then you're like, oh, can I tell you about my day? And they're like, okay. And then you type out three sentences, and they take 42 minutes to respond. And when they do, they're like, that sucks. F you. F you. F you. You stupid piece of shit. I know there are literally dozens of people like you in chat right now. 
you guys specifically. No wonder you don't have actual direct friends to vent to. No, sorry. That's not, it's kind of mean. No, you know what? Yeah, no, f*** you. If you do that, no wonder you have difficulty making friends. Oh my god. Friendship requires mutual investment. You realize that, right? Put effort in. You know how taxing it is to have a depressive person vent at you and knowing that you're like, you're literally like having a depressing person vent at you is like, is like doing a bomb defusal where you're trying not to cut the suicide wire. Like, like, and you're doing that shit to other people who you claim them to be your friends. And then like, you do nothing for them. You do nothing. I feel so guilty. Don't feel guilty, little Pearl Gray or Gray Pearl. Feel motivated to not do it, okay? Guilt is a useless emotion. It burdens you. It's worthless. I've never felt guilt for anything in my life. If you disagree with something that you've done, all you can do is change it. If there are people to whom you need to apologize, apologize them. If there's behavior you want to fix, fix it. Guilt is nothing. What happened in the past cannot be undone, and it also can't be repeated. Only you can change the future, okay? Go for it. Do it. Be motivated. Do not feel guilty for what you have done to your friends. Feel gracious for gifting them the new you. But guilt is the thing that motivates? No, it isn't. All guilt does is detract. All guilt does is make you wallow. Guilt never motivates anyone under any circumstances. What motivates you is a principled understanding that you could be doing better. All guilt does is cause people to wallow and repeat negative behaviors because they think they're not capable of improving themselves. Guilt is a is a perfectly useless emotion. It is worthless. It is vestigial. It does not help. That's true, Dio. 100%. Thoughts on depression slash suicidal culture? What the fuck is depression slash suicidal culture? There shouldn't be a culture. I Listen, this might... Okay, wait. I might get in some flack for this thing. If you're depressive, I think you should not de talk to depressive people. I think you should talk to non-depressive, sympathetic people. Depressive people with other depressive people just causes a feedback loop where all you do is share negativity with negativity, get responded with negativity, and feel worse. None of you are in an emotional state to help other people, so you're probably not in a position to be like deliberately positioning yourself that way. You should try to find uplifting people. Uplifting people are a gift from God to all of us. People with energy and positivity, you should spend as much time as possible with them. Obviously, you shouldn't, like, I don't know, cling on to them like a f desperate roach, but you should, like, you know, try to surround yourself with people who kind of make you feel like life's kind of banging, actually. But they have to be sympathetic. Obviously, if they're just kind of blithely positive, like, like not, they don't care, like, they don't listen to you. Like, I'm not talking that. I'm talking, you know, good, sympathetic people. People worthy of being friends with, but they're positive. Because if you just create a, like, depressive circle jerk, what are you offering each other? I don't know. That's not to say you should always avoid other depressive people. Like, you shouldn't, like, drop friends if they're depressive because you're depressive like that. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, you, 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 you blow up your entire social group here. I'm just saying, you know, I feel like it's, you should make an effort to be in the company of people who have, like, some energy that, you know, maybe if you get along with them, they can lend you a little bit of, lend you a little bit of enthusiasm for life. Vosh, what is group therapy? Group therapy is structured. Group therapy is structured with a uh, with a therapist who is there to direct and control engagements. And there is a reason for that. Also, group therapy only works if you want it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've never been to group therapy. I, I know a little bit about it, um, but I do know that you absolutely need the structure of a therapist there. Uh, otherwise, it would go quite poorly. Group therapy was so good for me. I'm glad I'm not I'm not dissing group therapy at all. So black pill forums and channels are a negative feedback loop. Yeah. Have you seen uh, all the like suicidal black pill incel forums? Like they're all rising up together. Like their depressive tendencies cancel out and they all like elevate and become giga chads who are super confident. Not really. Bosh, even if you're trying to do good, it does come off a bit aggressive. Good. I am aggressive. I'll yell at you to your face. Hey, I'm, D I'm DMing you my home address right now. Okay, there. I'll yell at your face. I don't care. Besides, you people need to be yelled at because a lot of you are infantile children who are incapable of managing even the most basic elements of self-care. Every day I go on Twitter and every day I'm reminded that I am, yes indeed, in my late 20s because I see you, I, people who are older than me who have no idea how to structure their lives. And I'm not even talking about something that pertains to my fame or my wealth. I'm talking about like very basic, like human, you know what this is? This is because of the term adulting. I 
hate the term adulting. You know the concept of an adult, like a modern conceptualization of what it means to be an adult, wasn't really a thing for most of human history? That was because after you hit puberty and you were strong enough to use some kind of farm implement, congratulations, you now get to work. Whether or not you're an adult, there wasn't a line. It was just like, you're, you can work, you do work. You have responsibility, congratulations. There was no adulting, because the moment you had the opportunity to do those things, you had to, or you'd all starve in the winter. So nowadays, it's like, you know, you, 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 you have people in their late 20s and early 30s who are talking about how hard it is to go get groceries. It's not hard. It's very easy. It can be expensive. But that's a separate problem. Living can be hard, but that's a separate thing. Getting groceries isn't hard. Shut the f*** up. Are you doing it poorly? And then, you, you know, invariably you see the kind of groceries they get and it makes you want to shoot yourself. Buy rice and beans. You, you know how good rice and beans can taste if you know how to make them? Do you have any idea how much you can do with that? Buy, 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 buy spices. Get spices. They're good for you in the sense that they make you happy, which is good for your mental health. Make hummus. That's more advanced. The issue is not the groceries, but the mental effort around it, but they should work on it regardless. It does take a lot of mental effort to do simple things sometimes. The problem that I have is that the mental effort it takes is being multiplied by what I'm calling the retard factor, or perhaps the adult baby man-child factor where people, in addition to being depressive, have no idea how to structure or order their lives. This is the critical difference, okay? I get depressive. I have bipolar disorder. That means that sometimes I have manic depressive episodes. They used to be really bad, but now I'm on lithium. Now they're only mostly bad. And when I'm feeling very depressive, I'm not very productive. But in the brief moments of lucidity that I can manage even while feeling depressive, I'm more productive in one hour than a lot of you stupid f pieces of shit are in a goddamn day, even when I'm feeling depressive. And do you know why? It's because in addition to being depressive, I'm also a f adult and I know how to go, okay, as long as I can, this, 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 do it, do it, do it, go, listen to a podcast while I do it, kablamo, work done. But I see a lot of people, in addition to being depressive, have no idea how to structure their behavior or be productive, and for that reason, it gets way harder. This is what I mean when I say discipline is freedom. When you're feeling depressive, discipline is what lets you get your chores done in one hour instead of four. Discipline is what lets you take care of everything you need to do in the house so you have free time, rather than having the, 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 the mental burden of future work weighing on you the entire time that you're sitting there doing nothing. This isn't just an executive dysfunction versus function thing. The executive dysfunction thing is a product of mental illness, and it's its own issue, and it's serious. But when you have moments of mental function, do yourself the favor of taking them seriously and effectively using them. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm not saying just be mental function. I'm saying when you have that mental function, you owe it to yourself to structure that time and energy you do have in a way that allows you to actually get stuff done because that'll make you feel better and it'll make you more likely to get out of your depressive spell because being productive is biologically something that gets people out of depressive spells. The serotonin you get when you set a task in your mind and you complete it is something that can be very effective at building the steps up to help you out of a depressive episode. But in order to do that, you can't just have the energy to do the work. You have to know how to do the work well. Also go to the gym. So now he's a scientist? Yes. Is ADHD a mental illness? No. Vosh, I can't do that. I'm literally disabled. This is not a good faith argument. That's crazy, bro. I don't care. Because as we previously established, I'm not friends with you. Uh, if you can't do what I'm talking about right now, what do you, what do you think I'm saying exactly? What, what, what claim do you think I'm making? I'm saying learn how to be productive and disciplined so you can take advantage of your periods of mental functionality. You can't do that? How disabled are you? And if you're that disabled, by the way, then why wouldn't you just assume the advice I'm offering doesn't apply to you? If I were talking about, like, good advice for how to get a fat ass, make sure to clench your cheeks when you're walking up the steps, and you're like, bro, I'm in a wheelchair, this isn't in good faith. What do you mean? Most people aren't in wheelchairs. Why, why resent me for being right? <laughs> yes, ADHD is a mental illness. Isn't it considered, like, a condition or something, not a mental illness? I thought, it was, I thought there was, like, a different term or something. 
It's a disorder. It's a spectrum. Okay, there's like 17 different words being thrown out there. Neurodiver, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Vosh get off to yelling at chat? Yes! It's only that you gave your argument as half-moral prescriptivism and then supported it by labeling the group the mentally ill when it's really just chronically online chatters with anxiety. Chronically online chatters with anxiety are definitionally mental ill, and there are mentally ill, and there are lots of them. I think Vosh is saying it's not fair to complain slash vent about your mental illness. Well, some, uh, first of all, I don't think you should vent about your mental illness, like, ever. Venting... We... I, I can think of very few instances where venting is a, re, is a good thing to do. Complaining is another thing, but again, you should do it with friends while not even trying to take steps towards improving your mental health either. It's, it's, it's not just a matter of, like, taking those steps. Like, you owe it to yourself to do things that are likely to help your mental state. I have... The longer I do this, the less respect that I have, I think, for people who are opposed to that. I really, really dislike the aestheticization of mental illness, okay? Stop posting Twitter memes about how you're so anxious or whatever, you can't do this, that, the other, or about how you're depressive. Nobody cares. They don't care. Stop it. Don't do it. Stop, okay? You're, we're, all, we're all so uh, uh, countercultural. When, when memes about being like a super, like depressive, suicidal, anxiety-ridden Patrick Bateman, whatever, get a hundred thousand likes every time they get posted. Oh yeah, we're all so, like it's, it's such an aesthetic now, you know? Uh, don't even get me started in the TikTok. No, I will get started in the TikTok thing. I'm not even getting into the altars or the whatever the fuck else, okay? It is so obviously an aesthetic in some portions of TikTok to play out your mental illness for the purpose of getting validation to people online, okay? That's so weird. Stop, okay? Please, please, stop. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're faking it, even though a lot of them are, obviously, which is the case with literally any social trend. Um, it's not even the matter of like whether or not it's annoying, which it is. Uh, it's just a matter of, if it's an illness, you don't want to have it. Stop making it a part of your character. You don't have to live like that your entire life. Why? Like, Jesus, you, 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 like, we're, we're like normalizing this culture, man. Attention-seeking behavior? I do attention-seeking behavior, but I do it about stuff that isn't that bad. Well, sometimes. Vosh being a smug is making me want a fed post. Get Damn, that's crazy. Then you must want a fed post literally all the time, every stream, because I'm always like this. Everyone, I, there's nothing that I love more than people being like, I can't, I can't stand it when Vosh acts like sites thing I'm always doing all the time. Like, what, what do you mean? The other, the other day, Vosh, you seem a little arrogant. This is what I mean. Okay, wait, you you know, Dream Canoe, you're baiting. But the other day, somebody was like, I just can't stand, because we were talking about AI art. And somebody in chat was like, I just can't stand it how when you disagree with Vosh, you're wrong and he's right. It's just so arrogant. Well, welcome to Vosh.gg and also YouTube.com slash C slash Vosh. You're just mad because it's targeting you now.